So one morning very early, I was walking out of our house in East Tennessee several years ago, and as I was walking to the car, I heard something like a funny bird up in our magnolia tree, and I thought, that's weird. Kept walking towards the car, and I heard it again, and I realized what I was hearing. Help! So I walk back to our, it's enormous magnolia tree. I look up through the waxy green leaves and the huge white flowers, and way up in the tree, I see these spindly bare legs and a white t-shirt. Seth? Yeah? You stuck, Seth? Yeah? Seth's the little neighbor boy. Need some help? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm coming, buddy. And as I'm climbing, I'm thinking, don't let him fall. And I got up there, and I was just praising him the whole way. Seth, you've climbed so high in this tree. I never climbed this high when I was five years old. You've just done him. Hang on, buddy, I'm coming. And I get up to where he's at, and I say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Put your foot here, and I tap the branch, and he stepped his way down, and he got down, and he went to his neighbor's house. You ever found yourself stuck somewhere where you needed help like that before? If you have, and who hasn't, I'd love to hear your story after church service. Just come up and tell me, or send me an email or a text or about your place where you got stuck. Same town, a friend of mine, who's a teenager at the time, had a beater old car, didn't have reverse. It used to, it just didn't work. So he had to be really careful where he parked, because you can't back out. There, he would get home at night, he'd pull up into the neighbor's driveway across the street and put it in neutral, let it roll all the way back down across the, high, the street and into his, so he could pull back out of the driveway. Uh, and you'd always find him, he would forget, he'd pull into a parking spot and be out there pushing the car back out because he got it stuck. I've been stuck, I admit it, many, many times, like the time we were in Gettysburg with a 15-passenger van full of students pulling a U-Haul, and I'm going down this narrow alleyway in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania that I assumed went all the way through, and it didn't. I'm already not good at backing things up. Now it's a passenger van with a U-Haul on the back of it. I'm trying to back it. But fortunately for me, you know, teenagers are so supportive in situations like that, so... Um, <laughs> You ever found yourself stuck in a place where you just couldn't get out of? One of my favorite stuck stories is uh, there was a career burglar named Timothy Cipriani. One time he got the idea to break into a pizza joint. I think this was in New Jersey. He was going to shimmy down the exhaust vent into the kitchen, steal the cash register, and get his way back out. For, unfortunately, he didn't make it all the way. He'd had too much pizza, or he overestimated how big the vent was. Police found him screaming for help with his legs dangling out of the vent over a hot, deep-fat fryer. I think we have, we have the picture of a poor Timothy there stuck. Police spent 30 minutes trying to get him unstuck. I followed his career for a while now, and unfortunately for Timothy, he didn't leave his larcenous ways. A few years ago, he got stuck with 10 to 20, to actually 10 to life, uh, and the judge literally said, Timothy, the parole board is not going to let you out until they're convinced you've changed your ways. So he's stuck in jail now, and I hope he gets out. We all know what it's like to be stuck, if not literally, then figuratively, Right? 2020 was the year we were all stuck at home. Unless you were an essential worker, then you were stuck taking care of the rest of us. That was great. Uh, maybe you feel like you're just stuck in a stage of life. You're stuck in school and won't ever get out. You're stuck with your parents. You're stuck with your kids. Uh, no, don't say that. It's Child Dedication Sunday. Nobody feels that way. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in depression, stuck in the spin cycle of addiction, stuck with uh, resentment and unforgiveness, stuck with debt, stuck in a career you don't really like but you don't know what else to do maybe you're stuck in a bad relationship 
I mean, we can just go down all the different ways that people are stuck and, and just don't know what to do with it. And if it's you, uh, I'm happy that you're here today, actually, and I'm happy you're joining online because, uh, you know, we follow Jesus who can do anything. And I want to show you a true story today of how Jesus found a man who'd been stuck for decades in his situation in life, and Jesus got him unstuck with one miracle. That's what we're looking about, uh, the miracles of Jesus. And if you need a miracle today to get unstuck, I hope you'll pay attention because I think what Jesus did back then has something that will give you hope right now for your situation you're stuck in. So if you got one of these, a Bible, find John chapter 5. I, if you got a paper Bible, kudos to you. If you got a, an online version of the Bible on your phone, there should be a QR code up here, and you can scan that with your camera, and it will take you straight to the Bible app. And if you would like one of these and you don't have one, I would like to give you one after services. You go to, out here into the commons and go to guest services and say, hey, I want one of those Brian Bibles, one of the ones that Brian was talking about, and we will gift it to you. It's a nice one. So we're in John chapter 5. If you don't know much about the Bible, as I always say, it's okay to look at the table of contents. And you're going to find four Johns in there. Actually, there's the Gospel of John, which is what you want. You can ignore 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Those are also written by the same guy, but that's not what you're looking for. So you find Gospel of John chapter 5. That's the big five. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. And inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. little context here. Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. It's the center of of all the Jewish worship. The temple in Jerusalem still existed at this time. People would come from all over the world who were Jewish to come honor God on these holy days. Scholars believe that this was actually the feast of Passover that they were celebrating right now. Bethesda, it's by the sheep gate. Why is it called the sheep gate? They think that that's where they would bring the sheep in from outside the city to take them to the temple where they would be sacrificed. So they call it the sheep gate. Bethesda pool, it's an amazing pool. Uh, this thing is enormous. Uh, I don't know. In my head, I always thought of Bethesda pool here by the Sheep Gate when I read the Bible before. I thought of like a, the indoor swimming pool at a hotel. You can take that out of your mind. Have you ever been to a football game? That's the size of Bethesda pool. It's as wide as a football field and longer, including the end zones, and 50 feet deep. Five enormous covered porches with columns. It's just archaeologists have uncovered it or part of it in the city of Jerusalem now. So as I'm reading this account, just picture this enormous, deep, wide pool of water. And it says, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porches. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man replied, for I've, been no, I've got no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. All right, we're gonna stop there for a second. And uh, just true story, this guy's been coming to this place for 38 years. And I don't know if you, if you just are picturing now this huge pool of water, beautiful place, in the city of Jerusalem, lots of people coming in, maybe hundreds of thousands of people in the city now for the Feast of Passover, lots of tourists, lots of sick people. Why are they coming there? They're looking for a miracle. See, the conventional wisdom of the day, it's not in the Bible, it's just what people believed back then, is that an angel would daily come down to the pool of Bethesda, slap the water, and when the water rippled, the first one in the water would get a healing. Which to me, does that not sound like a little bit cold? Wait for it. Wait for it. Okay, jump. You know, but who would do that? Let's just really be clear here. The Bible does not say that's what God did. He did not say, who wants a healing? Whoever gets their first, that, that's cruel, that's cold, that's not. That's just what people thought. It was the, so that's why the people, why did the people come there that day? They came looking for a healing. They came looking for a miracle. 
was anyone ever actually healed in this way? Your answer is as good as mine because the Bible doesn't tell us. I'm gonna go with no, but you and I know how this works. There's probably a story that went around about somebody who got healed and it was my cousin's brother's friend who lived down the street from, you know how that is. And so there was a story that everybody passed along and they just all kind of hoped every day as they showed up that they would win, kind of like playing the lottery. You, you can't win if you don't play. So they're sitting there scratching the tickets, hoping to get a healing of the water ripples, which what we know about the pool now, it may have just been, you know, like gas bubbles coming up through the water, not an angel at all. But people desperately wanted to get unstuck and get healed. And so hope springs eternal, except I don't know that it really does. The guy in the story is a case in point. At what point in 38 years do you start to go, is it really going to ever happen? Do you not see, like, this is, the, this is the example, quintessential example of what it means to be stuck. Do you really think that he stood in front of his, or stood, he's paralyzed. Do you think he sat before his mirror every day and said, this is your day, buddy. You're going to get a healing. Or did he just show up to that pool day after day after day because that's just what he did? It just became a routine. It just became a thing you did. Maybe God would show up, maybe he wouldn't, but this is the life you know, it's what you do, and go. So I just got to ask you a question. Do you feel like there's anything in your life like that where you just feel like you're stuck and you're going through a routine where you hope God shows up, but maybe you've just given up a little bit of hope? How about that question Jesus asked him too? You want to get better? Is it just me or does that seem a little insensitive to ask a man who's living with a disability if he wants to get better? Like, would you do that? Would you go to the hospital, go to the neonatal unit and stand beside the parents looking through the glass and say, do you want to hold your kid? You would never say something like that. Would you go to a funeral and say something callous? Would you go up to a Cubs fan and say, would you like to win the World Series again? (laughs) Would you? I've been following Jesus for decades, and the one thing I can tell you about him in my experience is he is not unkind. He is not cruel. Why would he ask a question like that? Remember what we've already seen, and many of you believe about Jesus. If you're still kind of newer to Jesus and you're not sure if he does miraculous things, just understand a lot of us believe he does. The Bible presents Jesus as a man who could do anything because he's God in human form. Nothing is impossible for him. So when Jesus stands before a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years and says, do you want to get better? He's saying, do you want to get better? Because I can make that happen. Do you find it interesting, too, how the man responded to him? I mean, like, there was no, heck yes, I want to be healed today. There was no sarcastic, oh, yeah, I'm just here working on my tan with all the others. Just, I don't have anybody to help me in the water. I can't. I I think there's a little bit of an attitude there. 38 years, and your answer to the person who says you want to get better is, I just can't get in the water. I don't know. It seems like a fair question to ask does the guy really want to get better? Or has he just got used to showing up at the same place the same day, the same people, just running the loop over and over and over, lather, rinse, repeat, till you die? You know, I, I think it is a fair question to ask, and I love what somebody said, I don't know who first said this, but it's always stuck with me. Jesus is giving this man the right to determine his own future. Because if we're being honest, 
there are some people given the opportunity for a better future will say no. And if you don't believe me, just find any counselor and ask them, is that true? And they'll tell you, yes, it is. Why? Why in the world, when somebody has a miracle waiting right in front of them, if they'll just reach out and accept it, would they say no to that? People say no to a better life all the time. I'm just thinking about why that is. I don't have all the answers. I am not a counselor, but I just think about it. Maybe you even experience some of these in your own life. Sometimes it's just that uh, it's the fear of change. Like you're, you have an opportunity to experience something different and better, but I don't know what that new better life looks like. I know what this one looks like. It's not great, but I've got this one figured out. That's going to require me to learn new things, and, and the fear of change could be overwhelming. I was in college when debit cards came out. Any of you remember when debit cards came out? Some of you have always lived with debit cards. You have no idea what I'm talking about. You've always lived with Apple Pay, but for me, I'm generally okay with being an early adopter, but debit cards freaked me out, probably because I was in college and I didn't have any money to begin with. So the thought of, I literally was so scared to put that debit card in the machine because I thought, I'm going to punch in, give me $20, and it's going to just start laughing. Like, you don't have $20 in your, I thought alarms are going to go off. I didn't know. Nobody had used debit cards before. What happens if you don't have enough money for what you're asking for? What if it just keeps my card and I get arrested? Finally, a friend of mine just literally took my debit card, put it in the machine, said, punch in your debit, punch in your PIN number, there, take your cash. And then I was fine from there. But I get it. I understand that there's something about doing something new that can be scary. And it's just easier to stay in the routine that you know. For this guy, you know, there'll be so many things in his future that he would have to learn how to do because the life he had there wasn't great, but for 38 years, he's eaten somehow. He's got a place to sleep every night somehow. I just don't know. Maybe, if, maybe for something in your life, there's something you know it could be better, but you're not sure it's worth the risk. You're not sure if it's worth going to talk to somebody about because who knows what that conversation is going to take you to. To come clean with some things in your life that need to go. To ask for some help. Things could get scary, crazy, out of control. And, and that fear of change is, is a powerful thing. You know, there's another thing, if we're honest. Sometimes, um, and I hate to say it this way, but there's sometimes some benefits in being stuck. Uh, several years ago, I busted my knee up pretty good and had to have a couple surgeries to fix it. And it was very frustrating, but at the same time, I learned that there were some benefits to that. Namely, some people came and mowed our grass. People brought us a lot of really good food. Uh, people would run errands for me. And, you know, I, I wanted to get better. I really did. But I kind of remember thinking at one point when somebody had just dropped off hot cinnamon rolls, man, a guy could get used to this. I kind of like the lower expectations that people have of me and the sympathy and the way they take care of me. And, you know, I'm trying to think of how can I make this thing play out as long as I can. And again, I look at this guy thinking, there's probably a lot of us who'd say, this isn't a great situation, but I know how to handle this situation. I like the sympathy that this gets me. Sometimes there's some benefits to living a life. And if you're ever trying, and I'm not saying it's great, I'm not saying it's right, but if you're ever trying to figure out why am I stuck, you might ask yourself, is there, are there some benefits, hidden benefits I'm getting from this that are making it easier to stay in a bad place than to move on to a place of health that God would be calling me to? You know, another thing that might get in the way of this, just thinking it through, is sometimes we're really good at denying reality. We, we're very good at saying it's really not as bad as, as it really is. 
I think it was Pastor Kyle Item, and I first heard about this story. It's a true story. Poor woman uh, set medical history. She had a 300-pound tumor removed from her body. It's true. I thought this can't be true. This has to be a pastor story. Nope, it's true. Uh, back in Palo Alto, California, you can Google it later. Do not Google it now, and I will not be showing any pictures. But this poor lady um, had a 300-pound tumor removed from her body. It weighed twice as much as she did. She left the operating room on one stretcher, and the tumor left on another. I kid you not. And I think, man, what a great day of freedom that must have been for her to have that. But how do you get to that point? And her story is one that I think we could all be sympathetic to and relate to. She knew there were some health issues. As the tumor started to grow, she thought she was just gaining weight. And then she realized it's something bigger. But at some point, she crossed a line where she thought, I can't go to a doctor now because I have to admit that I've put up with this this long. And there was a lot of guilt and shame associated with that. There was a lot of fear associated with that. There was a lot of, maybe it'll just get better on its own if I just leave it alone. And I think we can all relate. There's something probably all of us have experienced. We thought, well, if I just give it a little bit of time, it'll get better, and it's not getting better. And you're just thinking, my kid will just get better. My finances will get better. The marriage will get better. The you know, work will finally figure itself out, and it'll get better. And we just deny reality instead of re- dealing with the fact that this really, we're stuck, and we need to change, and this needs to go away. And at some point, I wonder if maybe that's a place where I just maybe get in your business a little bit, that God wants to have a conversation with you. And as a pastor, I truly and sincerely care about all of you, so I don't ask this in a way to poke a bruise, but I'm just wondering if there's something in your life that you're ignoring right now, hoping it will get better. And maybe you need to hear the voice of God saying, it's not going to get better on its own. Invite me in. Is there something in your life that you're hiding right now that you are desperately hoping nobody ever figures out or finds out about? Is there something in your life you've just given up on and you just believe it will never come back, I should never hope, I should just let it go? That maybe God says, ah, think again. With me, I do impossible things. I'm just wondering if Jesus was right in front of you right now and asked you, do you want a miracle What would you say? If he offered you something and you know there's something in your life that you desperately need and you know if it's going to happen, it's only going to be God who does it. Are you willing to ask him for the help? So I look at this this man at the pool. I want to go back to him. Please appreciate the irony of this situation. You know, Jesus has just presented himself to a man who hasn't walked for 38 years and he says do you want to get better and the man's response is I don't have anybody to help me into the pool it would be like any of us being hungry and chef Gordon Ramsay is suddenly in front of you and says you want something to eat and I can't do his British accent and I'm certainly not gonna well anyway so he just hey you want something to eat? and you're like I I can't I don't have any money for the vending machine you have Chef Gordon Ramsay in front of you. He can literally make you anything you want, and you want him to get a Snickers out of the vending machine for you. You have God in the flesh in front of you, and you want him to toss you into the pool? Just ask for the healing. I think Jesus probably just saw something in this man that realized there's some faith here, and I can work with that. Verse 8, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. That is also incredibly insensitive, right? If you stood in front of a disabled person and said, stand up, that'd be like saying, you know, pick up 10,000 pounds. I can't. You're right. Run a marathon in 20 minutes. I can't. You're right. Stand up, disabled person. I can't, unless it's Jesus telling you to stand up. What did the guy do? 
When Jesus enters the picture, impossible things become possible. Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began to walk. And let me tell you something. You can trust Jesus to do for you things you cannot do for yourself. And you should have enough faith to ask him. And you say, well, he, he, he could say no. Yes, he could. He could also say yes. He could say not yet. He could say, I'm going to give you the grace to get through this, and we're going to walk through it together. You just don't know what he'll say to you until you ask. And you should trust him, and he's a good leader. He's a good man. Jesus can save you from your sins because he's also God. And you should just ask him for the miracle. And you have no idea what your future will look like. And I know that maybe for some of you that's scary, and that's why you're not asking. I'm telling you, whatever he has in mind for you is better than whatever you could have arranged for yourself. If Jesus stands in front of you and says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk, the best thing you could do is do what he says. It's always interesting how when Jesus asks you to have faith in him, he'll give you a tangible way to show that you do trust him. Stand up, pick up your mat, walk. A friend of mine who's a counselor, I was just asking him about a situation, and he said, you know what, I have a rule of thumb. I, generally speaking, won't work harder for someone than they're willing to work for themselves. That sounds kind of, why would you say it? And he said, it's not that I don't care, it's just that it won't work. If they're not willing to do what they can to receive what God is doing, then you can't do it all for them. So I love that, that God, even in our own healing, gives us a chance to do something. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. And I'm just wondering if some of us today need to have a very, very close heart-to-heart conversation with Jesus and just say, I've got something that's bigger than me. I'm stuck. I can't get unstuck. Where do I need to get up, take up my mat, and walk? Where do I need to obey you, Jesus? And maybe you need just to have an honest conversation with somebody that you trust, someone who's across from you. You can say, here's my reality. And they won't shame you. They won't scold you. They'll just listen to you. And together they'll pray and you say, maybe even sympathize and say, I've been there too. And we'll walk through this together because Jesus can make so many things different in your life. And I'm here to tell you there's so much reason for hope. So many Connection Christians can tell stories of how God has got them unstuck again and again and again. Don't believe the lie that it's too late, that things are too far gone, that it can't be brought back, that this can't be made better. This is not true. I wish I could just stop the sermon right here and just let us go, and so do you maybe. (laughs) But the story goes on just a little bit further, and we need to hear this too. There were some people who uh, weren't very happy about what Jesus did. Jesus told the man, take up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat. He began walking. But, but this miracle occurred on the Sabbath. It's a Saturday. It's a Jewish day where they don't do any work. And uh, so the Jewish leaders objected because they got a rule about this. They said to the man who was cured, you can't walk on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. No. Hey, weren't you paralyzed for 38 years? Congratulations. The grace of God has healed you. Just, you can't do that. What is wrong with these people? Well, the man replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. I guess no one ever told him snitches get stitches. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Remember, he was at the pool of Bethesda when Jesus healed him. Now he's at the temple. And Jesus, out of great grace and compassion, went and found this man. And he gave him a gentle warning. Now you're well. So stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who had healed him. And I'll tell you honestly, for my whole life, I hoped this guy was in heaven, but I didn't like him, because I felt like he tattled on Jesus. But um, I've been actually studying for this sermon. Um, Professor Mark Moore, Dr. Mark Moore, gave me a different perspective. 
This man was in, confronted by the, the highest religious leaders of the land, people he'd grown up being told to respect, like there's God and then there's the Pharisees. That kind of pressure, I think any of us would have caved, wouldn't we? He's just trying to save his own skin. And when Jesus comes to him and he says, hey, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you, it's very easy to read that and go, oh, he was uh, disabled because he was a bad person. And if he sins again, he's going to be disabled again. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus doesn't operate that way. This goes all the way back to the beginning of why would Jesus come here and do miracles in the first place? At the end of John's gospel, he tells us Jesus did all these miracles. This is John chapter 20. They were signs. You know what a sign does? It, it tells us what's coming. It, it explains things to us. It points us in the right direction. These miracles that Jesus did were temporary fixes in a broken world that were supposed to point us to him as the ultimate fix for everything that's wrong in your life and in the world. And what Jesus is saying to this man, it's a very gentle warning. He's saying, look, what does it matter if you gain the ability to walk again, but you lose your soul? He's warning him not to go back into disbelief like those Jewish leaders. Those Jewish leaders saw an honest-to-God miracle. There's a man walking who's never been able to walk before, and all they could think of was their petty rules. They wouldn't give glory to God. They wouldn't recognize that God was right there among them. And what Jesus is saying to this man and saying to us is don't let disbelief get into your heart. Don't miss the bigger picture because the man who got healed eventually died, but if he put his faith in Christ and continued to follow him, he's going to have eternal life. That's the big fix. That's the miracle I want for you. I pray that God will do the miracle in your life that you need right now because I know a lot of you are hurting literally or figuratively. In the end, you need something so much more than the current pain that you're experiencing to go away. You need Jesus to fix everything that's broken in you and the Bible tells us the moment we put our faith in him and trust him to be our Lord and our, our leader, the one who forgives our sins, that we are starting to participate in eternal life. Maybe today what you need to do just to say, I'm going to stand up and take up my mat and walk is you just need to get into the water, right? over, Walk over to the baptistry and call on the name of Jesus to forgive you, to give you new life. Maybe you've done that and you are a Christian and the faith you need is just to ask God for help to change things you can't change on your own. I love this church because there's a whole lot of people here who can say, I'm not better than you, but I can help you. I can walk alongside you. And we do that for each other here. I'm gonna pray. And I would just invite you to have a personal conversation with Jesus yourself while I'm talking and while I'm praying. I mean, I really believe that this could be a day where things break out and are different for you and you, you can get unstuck. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you come into our world right where we're at, right in the mess of it all, and you just show up and you offer gracious gifts like you did for this man, a healing that he never would have expected and in a way he never could have imagined. And I, I know that you continue to do the same thing today. I am so thankful for so many stories I've heard and things I've actually experienced in my life where you've just been the God who delivers and saves and heals. I pray for that for all of us, that you would just today open us up and our eyes up to, to opportunities that are before us because you're involved, that we would just have so much hope and optimism for our future because you're there. I pray that you would just break down anything that gets in the way, whether it be fear or shame or guilt, that would stand between us and the life that you call us to. I'm so thankful for all you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.